Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. G'day everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Welcome again to the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. My guest on the pod this week is the head of Erebus Motorsport, Barry Ryan. Controversial, polarising, plenty of descriptive words used about him over the journey from supercars fans. But you know what? He doesn't care about any of it. He's a racer's racer. He's a guy who loves to win, who loves to compete. And it's all about P1. And from the the two-part pod that we've got, this is part one, part two to come next week, you will gain a real insight into why he is how he is. We talk about a bunch of stuff. On part one on this pod, we talk about how he was only a few days old when he went to his first race. Racing is most definitely in Barry's blood. We talk about him going racing himself on two wheels and how he started in V8 supercars. In fact, how his very first Bathurst with John Faulkner Racing also clashed with his wedding. Who gets away with that? Wedding and Bathurst on the same weekend, let alone being in a wedding and working at Bathurst rather than just being a fan or going to a wedding. Amazing stuff. We talk about his time at Kmart Racing and that infamous five-minute penalty for Greg Murphy at the Mountain in 2002. We talk about how Barry found a very happy home at Larry Perkins' team at Perkins Engineering for quite a bit of time. And we also talk on this part about how he came to end up at Erebus Motorsport. So here we go. Buckle up. It's a great chat. Time to start part one with Barry Ryan on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. Well, Barry Ryan, we are sitting in... I feel like I'm in trouble. (laughs) We're sitting in your office at Erebus Motorsport, and I guess this is... Uh, this is kind of the nerve centre of, of this race team. Thanks for sitting down. There's model cars in front of us. There's parts of Erebus Commodores. There's trophies lurking around. This is a cool place to be. This is the best place I reckon I've ever done a yeah, podcast. It's a, yeah, it's a good little office. I've set it up a couple of years ago to, to look a bit nicer and be a bit more professional. It used to be just a desk chucked in the corner. <laughs> it's actually Ross Stone's old desk from Stone Brothers, so what, it's got what, a bit of history. The, the yeah. actual desk? Yeah. So yeah, for our, our, re- our listeners can't – I said readers then. That doesn't work, <laughs> does it? Our listeners won't see this, but it's a, a lovely wooden – Desk, oh, it's it's quite nice. So this was clearly yeah. too good to get rid of. This had it to was, come. Yeah, Ross Ross Stone. So yeah, I'm sitting at the same desk he used to, essentially. Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> so um, yeah, supercar legend. So so this is, I guess, one way to tie together the the obvious history, the Stone Brothers into Erebus. There's a connection to this day. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I thought it was a bit strange to start off with, and I thought it's a nice desk. You can't get rid of that. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, won some championships, so if anything rubs off, it's yeah, good. No, no, not a, not a bad thing at all. Uh, I know that you've kept an eye leading up to this chat on our Facebook page, so yep. you're aware of some of the questions that are going to follow uh, a little bit later on. But tell me about how did you get into this mad caper of motor racing? Who is this a family thing that dragged you into this? What, what got you in? So we're, yeah. we're going right back to the very yeah. start here. Oh, the very start, I think, you know, the... The week I was born, Dad took me to the Speedway because Dad grew up around Speedway and was always either racing or end up being a starter and you know d- did all the official stuff as well. And um, yeah, I, I guess it's just in my blood. I got mm. no choice. Dad, Dad took me to the races from the word go, and um, as soon as I was sort of old enough to race something, he was had me on either motorbikes or beach buggies or race go karts and 
race motorbikes and did all the racing myself and always had dad, dad by my side. So, Whereabouts was this? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Frankston, actually. Oh, so, Franger. Um, yeah, yeah. Was a Franger boy, yep. Um, Dad raced at Niora and yep. um, Avalon, which obviously still still current tracks. And Yeah, uh, from what I'm told, yeah, within three days of being born, I was at races on the Saturday night, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember it. Yeah, you but, haven't left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So did you, did you have the aspiration of being a driver rider or was it a case of – Working on cars or just anything to do with an engine? I think the dream was always you, you always want to drive or ride or, you know, motorbikes was my first passion and probably still is now. Um, yeah, learn on motorbikes. Um, yeah, Dad had, you know, beach buggies and stuff, stuff that was just you could go in the paddock and bash around and mm. paddock bashes. And so I think I learned to drive a Volkswagen Beetle beach buggy thing when I was probably eight as soon as I could reach the pedals and drive a manual. So... Um, yeah, I guess it got to a point eventually in my, I'll call it, racing career that I just knew that I couldn't afford it. And um, you know, I went the motorbike route racing because it was cheaper than cars and then just got to a point I was too smart or too scared to go fast. So or both. Or both. <laughs> yeah, a bit of both. <laughs> but, yeah, and are we talking motocross or road racing or speedway? Or what? It's funny, I've never actually raced on dirt, actually raced. But I've got one in four weeks coming up that I'm taking on. But I actually road raced, so yeah, I went. Road racing seemed like the best route to actually get into racing at a cost-effective way, and it probably still is. You can um, you can buy a bike pretty cheap and buy some leathers and go racing, and that's what I did. And um, yeah, I probably didn't have the bravery I needed to to go to another level where my younger brother did, and he went pretty far. Um, but yeah, then I got to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, decided I'd go um, do something where it was like mechanic. So mm. I've always grown up with Dad, same thing. He's always worked on his own cars, panel beaded, um, uh, spray painted, did everything in his own cars. He's an engineer in his own right. So Dad sort of taught me that. I was working in his workshop when I was 12, so I knew how to pull apart engines and panel beat cars and spray paint cars when I was really young. So that sort of naturally evolved into working on cars. So... Yeah, it's funny. I was a motor mechanic for, did my apprenticeship for a lot of years and worked with Peter Macro. Yeah. He's yeah. obviously a well known racer in his own right, his sons, Tim and Adam. And yeah, I just, I guess I, I got to a point where I was sick of being a mechanic, just a car mechanic. And Is it a not, road car mechanic? Yeah, road car versus mechanic. a race car mechanic. Yeah, yeah. well, I still got my fix going racing and doing my own thing and my brother racing and stuff. And what, like sort of, uh, what sort of bikes were you, were you riding, like road um, racing? Bikes? 250 production bikes. Yeah. Um, I raced 250 Grand Prix bikes. I raced 600 Super Sports. So. Any names that our listeners might know of that were on the grids in those days? Uh, um, Cameron Donald, obviously he was a champion. Yeah. Um, Isle of Man. Isle of Man yep. stuff, yeah. Uh, John Sciotto uh, ran Monza Imports. Um, Adam Ferguson, guys like that. Yeah, this is some, this was back in the early 90s, so there's not many. It's not that long ago, right? You make <laughs> yeah. it out like it's ancient history. Yeah, it's not even close. But, um, yeah, it was, it was good fun. It was good fun back then, but I just wasn't crazy enough for motorbikes. So, yeah, I gave that up before I spent too much money on someone. I wasn't going to – I want always, everything I do, I want to win. So when I realized I couldn't win, I just didn't want to waste the money on it anymore. We've learnt that about you over yeah. time. You do like to win. You do love yeah. a win. I can't just do it to have fun. That's the problem. But yeah, nowadays, yeah, I can. I'll go and do this enduro in a few weeks and have some fun. What's this enduro? What do you What do you got? Cooking? Oh, it's a Transmoto eight hour enduro, and there's there's four of us doing it. It's a weekend warrior class. It's called. So 
you do basically two hours each, but it's pretty much sounds like about a 20 minute loop, 17k loop, and you can swap at the end of each loop. And there's some guys in the Ironman class that do the full eight hours, so <laughs> but we're starting low, we're doing a you know, four of us riding, and if someone breaks down, obviously, someone will do a bit more. And but it's the first time I've been able to be in the dirt and in the bush with everybody going the same way, <laughs> so. <laughs> I know. The problem is at the end of the laps, I'll be looking at the times and trying to go faster, but yeah, I'm going to yeah. try and control myself. You're going to have to have a crack. So, yeah, you go <laughs> yeah. to control and, exactly. and keep that down. So, how does the the link come from doing the, the car, road car mechanic stuff with Peter Macro? It goes, uh, he's over Cheltenham Way, isn't he? Yeah. Somewhere he, around there. So, yeah, yeah. how does that link from Maybe. there to get you to V8 supercars with John Faulkner, or is there a couple of steps in between there? Um. I used to, when I was doing a bit of go-kart still back when I was working for Peter as well as the motorbikes, and I used to go and see Neil McCauley at lunch breaks because Neil McCauley was my engine builder in go-karts for years and years and still is when I when I double in carts. And he just told me one lunchtime about John Faulkner looking for someone, that um, a mechanic, and it was as simple as I rang John and said, I, I want a job, and he didn't really care about what I'd done. He <laughs> just gave me the opportunity. and. Yeah. and, and Still thankful for John to this day, and still keep in touch with John. And uh, in 1998, I went there and worked with him. There was only, I think, two of us full time back then, and we did everything. And I, I told him a lot of things I could do that I probably couldn't, but I just threw myself <laughs> in the deep end and just did it. And um, yeah, within 18 months of being with John, I was you know learned how to use Motec. I learned how to build diffs and gearboxes and fit engines and do setups and. It's just the the thing people don't get the opportunity anymore to to mm. go into a small team and learn everything. And it and, was yeah, as you said, it was it was an era where you could have a small team like that, yeah. but with a good car, which was an XHRT yeah, Brock yeah, car, yeah. Um, which by that stage was about three or four years old when you probably yeah, rocked up there. Yeah. But you know, he got it in the shootout every what year. What was the name of the car? See so how good your memory is. Beth. Beth. Yeah. What, what chassis it? number was it, Baz? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. 30. Come <laughs> on. It? I wrote the book about it, so yeah. it's okay. <laughs> but it was a time where if you – yeah, sure, HRT, Dick Johnson, Cedo, yeah. um, Stones obviously were, were starting to really grow then. Yeah. But you could you could actually run a successful business that had successful results yeah. that could attract good sponsors like yep. Better Electrical and Fisher yeah. & Paykel and achieve good exposure – and it all clicked together b- yeah. before the boom of the next few years that follow. Yeah, and John was a you know hard working had a business around the corner, mechanical business, to servicing cars, and obviously that was a bit of his cash flow and good sponsors, like you said, with Better Electrical and Fish and Pike and Cummins. And Did stuff you get some like good that. deals on some dishwashers or washing machines? Oh, I, did, I didn't back then. Oh, I didn't mate, really you, care about that. You had to get into the contra <laughs> early, mate. You have to get in the contra early. But yeah, that was a, it was a great place to start. And if it was more like that now, which just still is some of the smaller teams in other categories, but to get into supercars now, you just can't do that. And mm. you bring guys in, you really just got to be a, a robot. You're doing the same thing every day. You're just trying to make sure the cars as well put together as it can be. But you, you don't get everybody doesn't get to do a gearbox or a diff or like you used to. So. Mm. And it was a good era to, to learn what the way I learnt and you had to throw yourself in the deep end and sometimes talk shit to to get through. But <laughs> Wouldn't be the first do. time in motor racing no, that's happened. Exactly. Describe. Everybody's done that that's got anyway. So what was the standout memory from your, your time with, with JF? Uh probably um top ten at Bathurst and the we made the shootout. Um yeah, he had some really good results. Yeah, some place like Calder he was always strong, Lauren Park he was strong. 
It was more. It wasn't so much the results. It's what I learned while I was there, and mm. you know, working with good people like John and some of the some of the team team guys that were there, and it was just a, a little family. Like Thursday nights, you'd always go for pizza, and you know, you'd, <laughs> all the volunteers would come in on Thursday night, and would all stay back and work till eight thirty, nine o'clock, and go to the local pizza joint in Oakley and talk shit and have some beers. Mm. It, it was really enjoyable situation, and even though it was it was flat out, it was probably the hardest I've ever worked, but. It was just because you're learning so much so quick, you you don't even see it as a job. The days go so quick, and it was yeah, it was definitely cemented where I, where I've sort of got to and mm. how much I've learnt in those two years. Now, when the deal with John came up, you had a bit of a diary issue that year, didn't you? So back oh, yeah, back, yeah. back in those yeah. days, Bathurst for the V8s was. Um, in November, because yep. there was a bit of a split. Two litre cars were in October. Yeah. Before you'd taken that job with John, mm. you had a wedding date, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And what did it clash with? Yeah, it was Bathurst weekend. It's so, not yeah. a good way to start. No, nah, <laughs> no. Nah, it was it was a tough one to deal with. But so how, what did you do? How did you get around this? Well, luckily, firstly, I'm still with my wife, luckily. But, well, it's worked um, out all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I guess I saw the date and I thought, oh, wedding's planned that weekend. Can we change it? There was no way to change it, and I just I figured I can either not go or what to Bathurst or the wedding. Either not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not go to, the, to Bathurst um, and get married and do all the stuff that normal people do. But um, in typical fashion, I said, "No, nah, I can do this. I can do both." So, <laughs> um, luckily, um, I was I was valued as someone they needed there. So I got to go up there on the. Um, on the Tuesday, like everyone does, do the whole week leading up. Loretta got to not have me there for the weeks leading up to the wedding, other days, which was probably good for her. <laughs> and luckily enough, Gary Dumbrell that year, uh, Paul was racing with us that year, so Gary offered to private jet me back up on the... Oh, yeah, actually private jetted me back on the Friday night. I went and played golf in the morning with the boys and come to the wedding, got married and... Went to a dodgy hotel at Essendon Airport um, Saturday night. That was our honeymoon <laughs> hotel. Jumped on a plane real early. Um, I still remember getting out of the taxi up near the a university there and running down the hill towards Pit Lane because I had about half an hour to check the car to make sure the boys had put it together properly and they'd done a really good job. And we started the race and the tail shaft twisted on the start line and the, the day was over, so... That was probably the first time I'd been real angry in motorsport because it's like I just fucking wasted all my time, all that um, effort for the, all time the, and effort, and the yeah. whole team had um, for a tail shaft to fail and find out that somebody had put exhaust tube instead of chrome molly in the tail shaft accidentally, and mm. yeah. So when I went up to Queensland the next morning, I was I wanted to take the tail shaft and throw it through someone's window, yeah. but <laughs> John stopped me doing that. So. <laughs> So, yeah, my patience back then was probably where it all started, so um, I'll blame that. Probably see a theme develop as we talk about a few <laughs> other things here along the way. But yeah. good news was, got married. Good news is, yep. still married. Yep. So yep. even a clashing date with Bathurst, yep. if there's anyone out there listening who gets worried about when their wedding date might be, you can do it, just get a private plane. It'll be fine. Exactly. Just get yeah, someone yeah. who you know who can yeah. sort you my out and get you where you still, need to be. I think she still resents me a little bit, but yeah, <laughs> she gets over it. <laughs> Tell me too, the other thing I remembered when I think of that little John Faulkner era, um, that when the new cars came, the VT Commodores, remember the cop car? 
yeah, the yeah, police yeah, car yeah, up at Winton. Yeah. A lot of people have forgotten that, but yeah, I can't cool. I can't quite remember what the the background to it was. I don't think even it was a financial deal. I think it was more yeah. a awareness deal of a a community program or, or something like that at the yeah, time. Yeah, I think but it was one of those um, things that happened in Melbourne at, the, at some point, one of those shootings or something. And I think John did it as a as a support for the police, which mm. which was really good of him. And yeah, it was, it was something passionate he did it for. It wasn't just making a police car. It was yeah, there was a reason. I just mm. can't remember exactly. Yeah. yeah, I've got a weird memory that someone told me from the team that they had like a police looking uniform. And they went to Macca's on the Hume Highway to come back from Winton and got it for free. Oh, really? So, so um, if you yeah. got your uniform from JFR 99, probably wheel it out yeah, for a free burger at some stage. So, but, um, so the, the J, JFR struggled a little bit after that because the sponsorship got hard, but the whole game stepped up because yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the sport started going through this really big growth phase. So did it get harder and harder to get a result then? Were other people talking to you about a gig to go somewhere else? What happened in the next couple of years? Yeah, then? well, I only stayed till um, towards the end of '99. Um, it was just I, I'd always been bad at couldn't stick for anywhere for more than two years, and always wanted to move on and go to bigger and better. And um, as much as I hate hated leaving there, I, I got an opportunity to go to a, what I thought was going to be a better situation, and it did end up eventually. But I had a little bit in the middle there where um, a lot of people probably don't know. I went to Gibson Motorsport for a bit to, to run Steve Richards in the Wins car. So that's... Oh, they were Wins in 99 and came out in 2000, weren't they? No, it went from... Uh, it was when the purchase went through with... Ah, oh, when Gary Dumbrell that, bought the... Yeah, Gary Dumbrell, yeah, that's yeah. right. So he bought it for 2000 and then the Forbes yeah, Ford Lounge, Lounge went deal in there. for 01. Yeah, so on. I ended up... I think Richo didn't get a deal. Richo, I can't remember where he went. Tickford, I think. He went to Seaton's, yep. And I ended up was going to be an engineer on Roddy Forbes' car and it was then Ford and I just didn't, I don't know. It wasn't what I'd signed up for, so. So had you been there for a time thinking? I'd only been you, there for three weeks. I was oh, right. Three weeks at Gibson's. And, and then the world changed. Yeah, it was in the off-season, so it was sort of like, yeah, thanks for the opportunity, but I don't want to be here because it's not what I signed up for, so. I actually had Rob Crawford ring me when Kmart Racing started in 2000 and um, I had a good relationship with Todd Kelly already from uh, the John Faulkner days. Who'd co-driven the year that the yeah, tail shaft Yeah, we drove to Bathurst together in 98 actually. Um, on the way there, we, we went together and he was only a 17-year-old or something. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I got the opportunity to go Kmart mm. and took that with both hands and got to Spanner the car and engineer the car because back then that's what you did. Mm. Came up was only Rob Crawford, Eric Pender, three, probably six of us total. It mm. was a team, and yeah, I was the number one mechanic and race engineer on the car. Um, Eric Pender was Merce engineer and had a couple of mechanics and two apprentices, and yeah, that's how it all started. And um, back at Kmart days, and so I was there through that whole journey of Kmart until. Two years ran out again, and I got impatient. Wanted got to move on, and because <laughs> <yeah. laughs> along, yeah. along the way, so so that was oh one and oh two from uh, two th- two years with Todd. Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, yeah. 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 So the win yeah. at Sandown in the wet, the last round in oh yeah, one, I remember. Yeah, yeah, really well. That was kind of his breakthrough big. Yeah, big that was win. our last. Sort of, I oh, know it was 01, wasn't it? That, that was 01, and yeah, then there was another yeah, year then we went into 02. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And 02 was the year of the five minute, five minute penalty, penalty at yeah. Bathurst. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a theory floating around from an industry colleague of mine as to why that all happened. 
Yeah. So we're talking about the incident where Greg Murphy pits, yep. goes to leave, the fuel flows everywhere, yep. um, he leaves the pits. That No fire, but obviously a yeah, pretty yeah. Poor, dangerous situation potentially. Yep. Um, he gets a fight. Well, the car gets a five-minute penalty. He mm. goes to the toilet. Comes back to the car in a white rage and yeah. finishes three laps down or, or whatever it was. Now, my industry colleague says, who has a bit of an awareness of the Kmart racing team of that period, yep. that the process was changed of how the management of the pit stops was done yep. at the time. Yep. Can you tell us a bit more about that and how that all came to be? Yeah, so, yeah, I know exactly how it happened and why it happened. And, yeah, I, so I ended up engineering the car that year with um, Eric Pender as data. We sort of put the two strengths together, or what they call the strengths together, on the one car. Because in the, the day, f- you could pair your two. Yeah, so we had Murphy and Todd driving together, and we had uh, Rick Kelly and Nathan Pretty, I think, in the second car. Think, uh, is that right? I'm trying to remember. That was the year was before. Andy Prio. That was Prio and um, Ivan Muller. That's it. Yeah, because yeah. it was Ivan's throne that Murph went to, the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we had a like a pure lead car and a second car, and... Um, at some point during the weekend, we decided we were going to drop the car while the fuel was still going in, and uh, so it flows better because the car's lower, and the driver wasn't going to drive off. The car control, which was me at the time, we, our process was we're not going to stand in the car and waste time when the car oh, was ready to right go. Right in front of it, you're going to stand so we stood to the, the side. side so yep. the car, as soon as it was ready to go, it went. So, um, unfortunately, yeah, the car got dropped and the driver drove off. Where, um, clicking back into their normal way of yeah, yeah, going, there's no yeah. one sitting in front of me, my car's yep. on the ground, I'm good to go. Exactly, yeah. So it was just a communication thing where, you know, in hindsight, we should have left the car controller standing in front of the car saying stop instead of just being on the radio. And by the time you tag the radio and say stop, the fuel's ripped out of the car. So, mm. yeah, it was a shit situation, but and we didn't manage it with enough safety factor involved, I guess, and... Yeah, the history shows that we probably lost that race because the car was really fast that day. And, um, yeah, it proved the next year when they went back there that they you know, did the 6-8 and mm-hmm. they won the race. And, yeah, um, we, we'd re- that year would really set up. I think the, the car setup was really good and I think it showed the next two years, I think, they won, didn't they? The yeah, next two. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Which is unfortunate I didn't hang around for that. But yeah, Two-year itch got you yeah, again. Exactly, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, d- you mentioned before about the number of people that came. I think everyone thought because it was the the HRT sister yeah. team at Clayton that it had piles of people and piles of resource, but it wasn't mm. really like that for that place. No, it was pretty pretty small and it didn't need to be because the mothership was HRT, so we just had to fit components and you know, tune the cars right. Mm. We had a lot less pressure than HRT, so it was probably easier in a way that we weren't expected to beat them. Mm. And when we did, it was... It was um, it was good for us, but we should have been just as good because we had the same engines and same mm. components. And yeah, it was it was a great setup for having a strong four car team. Mm. And it grew again down the line, and Keyswell yeah, got involved. Yeah. And yeah, yeah that's ho- what hold I left chapter. When it, yeah, hold another chapter. The whole thing was like when the Gibsons day. I, I went to Team Brock. Oh, so um, okay. Mm. So that was what was for O three. Yeah, for O three, I wanted to sort of keep my. Well, I'd say my career evolving. I didn't want to stand still because so, Todd had gone to the, yeah, the he went to team HRT and Rick yep. had come into Kmart. Yeah, and and they I think they brought Teco Matt Nelson over to work with Rick and 
I didn't just want to be a mechanic, so I took the opportunity to go to um, Team Brock's to try and keep building on my engineering career. And then they bought Phil Keat in there, and I was like, oh, shit, you know, he's this World Rally sort of engineer going to be the engineer here and I, I had to sort of guide him through the thing and it was like I could see the writing on the wall that I was just going to be a mechanic again for the year so um, it's not what I wanted so yeah quickly got on to the next thing and that was Perkins Engineering and mm. the, the funny thing here a lot of people don't know is that I went in and re- resigned from um, the Walkinshaw or whatever you want to call it came up mm. had to do it to Jeff Gretsch and we had a bit of an argument and wasn't wasn't pretty but and then on the way to Perkins, I'd done the deal for a job with Larry's manager at the time, and he said, said to me, oh, you know, I'm not sure whether the role's available and all this. I'm like, what? I've just, just left quit the job. A job. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, luckily Paul Umbrell was part of the reason why I was going to go to Larry's, and I rang Paul and said, can you give me Larry's number? I need to speak to him because his manager's just screwed me over. And, um, yeah, I just... Got the courage to. This was on my way from Kmart to Perkins on the drive on from the drive. Clayton to Barabin. Yeah, had to stop and ring ring Larry and say, "Oh, Larry, I'm I'm this guy that's supposed to be starting with you." And he goes, "Oh, I didn't know anything about it, but yeah, what do you do?" And I told him what I did, and he said, "Yeah, you sound like the sort of bloke we need. Yeah, start. You want to start Monday?" I said, "I'll start today if you want." So, oh, I'm on my way. <laughs> so yeah, it was um, it was a little bit of a nervous time where I thought I didn't have the job I wanted and. Larry, being Larry, just thought I've seen him take people on before and within six hours they're out the door. So mm. he, he'll take someone on that says they can do it and then yeah. it's up to you to prove it. You soon find out. At this point, what did you want to be? You keep on finding these little roadblocks of what you mm. you wanted mm. to do, but ultimately could you have imagined sitting here as the you know the CEO and the main cheese at a yeah, supercar think, team? I think, or that's what, I think that's what I believe I, I wanted to do and what I could do. So I just wanted to be – I wanted to run the team. And, mm. and as arrogant as it sounds, I didn't want to be um, not just a mechanic but a mechanic for the rest of my life or a race engineer or whatever. Um, as much as I love those roles and – um, there's the same pressures in any of those roles, but I wanted to get to the top. I wanted to be – if I couldn't drive the car, I wanted to run the team. So, mm. um, yeah, and that's that's what I kept progressing to, to try and get to a point where, you know, Larry had enough faith in me to let me run Paul Dumbrell that first year in 2003, and then um, I got to run the car at Bathurst, um, the lead car at Bathurst the next couple of years. Um, then basically I was running the team and engineering the cars and doing dampers and just do, doing everything because that's what I, I was good at and what I liked doing. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Larry showed a lot of faith in me, but in return I had to do the job. And mm. if I couldn't do the job, there was plenty of times I was dragged up the office and you know, asked what the hell I'd done here or there. But I was waiting for a Larry impression <laughs> to come out then. I always had... Um, <laughs> Always had an answer for him, and luckily he liked my answers, and I kept my job for as long as I needed to. So it does help. Mm. It does help. One of the things we didn't cover in the Kmart period that uh, the boys at work do like to look through the old magazines <laughs> and come up with some things when we know we're coming to speak to some guests for our podcast. Yeah. So we talked before how about your how life and motor racing constantly either clash or have to coexist together. Yeah. So in the time that you are at Kmart Racing, I think you had a child, did you not? Yeah, um, 2000, but, no, 99. 
And that was at JF's, and then 2002... Kmart. At Kmart, yeah. Yeah, was it, was it the Kmart one that you didn't make it to the hospital? Yeah, yeah. She was born in the car, yeah. At Intercommodore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so not only can you engineer race cars, uh, run race teams, you can yeah. deliver babies as well. If you've seen the starting scene of um, Talladega Nights, it was very similar. <laughs> I was going down the Frankston Freeway... Um, about five in the morning and um, doing about 100 mile an hour, like he says in that. And we're actually so all right. It's all happening. We've got to get there. Yep. We've got to get there. Where yep. it's, I'm like, it's yeah, on. you'll be right. Just hang on. And she's like, no, I'm pushing and pushing, and oh, I've oh. turned around and yeah, seen this uh, half a baby's head poking out and had to slam on the brakes. <laughs> <laughs> and within like, but within the time of stopping the car and getting around the back, the baby was born. And yeah, I'm sitting on the side of the freeway in Frankston with a baby in my hands. And um, had to ring the hospital. Luckily, it was only five minutes away, and she's a healthy baby girl. And yeah, it was an experience. I can assure you, <laughs> but it's one I'll never forget. And it's, no, it's, it's good. Yeah. It's uh, one way to make an arrival yeah. onto the yeah, onto the planet. Huge, That's yeah. for sure. That's definitely one way um, to go. So, tell me about the tell me about Larry. A lot of people got a lot of Larry stories and a lot of an impression yep. of LP. But I get the feeling I get the feeling from watching the way you run your team. There's a lot of Larry. In the way you go about how you run mm. Erebus, fair yeah. call. Yeah, well, the best way I explain Larry is it's just no bullshit. It's just um, what you see is what you get with him, and if he, all you have to be with Larry is honest. Mm. If you're honest and you know how to do your job, it's fine. And if you don't know how to do your job, he'll try and help you um, learn how to do your job better. Um, might not always be the nicest way he, he does it, but... <laughs> I think <laughs> he's mellowed in his older oh, age, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, he has. But he, he's the best person to work for from what I've done with him. And, you know, there was times where I really... I just didn't want didn't to deal with him, didn't, didn't think it was the right environment, but that was the immature side. But when you, when you realise the way he treats his people, they're all treated really well. And you had people that had been there their whole careers mm. and you don't have people like that unless they're doing something right. And, um, yeah, Larry was just, he's just really good to work for and he, he teaches you. But if you were soft, like a lot of the generation now, you, you wouldn't have lasted five minutes with him because mm. it wasn't um, an easy place to work, but it was as hard as you made it. If if you were a good employee and you did your job, and um, he'd give everyone a pat on the back if they did a good job, and he'd also give you a kick in the ass if you weren't mm. doing a good job. But that's that's how it should be. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. I remember that period sort of 04 to 06 of the Castrol into Jack yeah, Daniels yeah. era. Steve Richards was a regular contender for the yeah, championship. He yeah. was at the front. What was the bit that was missing to, to get, you know, at the time Stones were kind of the dominant guys. Yeah. HRT was still HRT and yeah. running at the front. But what was the little bit that you would have needed there just to, Push into a you know a, a proper championship tilt to, oh, no, it was to get a few more wins on the board. Um, it's hard to say because we had so much right there, and um, you know, I was obviously engineering Richo through that period, and it was it was great fun going to each race and knowing that you had a chance of winning. And if if I knew what it was that we we needed to win, I probably we probably would have fixed it. But mm. 
you know, if you really boil it down and um, it was probably the, the cars were, our cars were built more on the finished Bathurst. Everything was strong and heavy and, you know, technically if you could have lightened some components and done what some of the, you know, wanky engineers do, which <laughs> I knew which you were going to say wasn't, that wasn't, wasn't <laughs> <laughs> But it's not wanky. That's what you need to do to get that last little bit of performance and that's just not what, Perkins Engineering was it was based around let's go to Bathurst and win all these other races are fill-in races warm-ups yeah um, but we still were really competitive and we had some great aspects of the car that work really well um, but if you wanted to be nitpicky you'd go back and lighten some bits a little bit and make mm. them you know so they're a little bit more risk of breaking but um, and it might have got that last hundredth couple hundredths of a second but yeah because certainly nothing wrong it was just just the way we, um, Perkins Engineering went, went about racing was mm. more around enduro racing than just a sprint race win. Mm. What about the kangaroo? Remember that one? Oh, Jim Richards yeah. in the Steve Richards car at Bathurst? Yeah, that was pretty disappointing. Yeah, we were really going, we were really strong that year. And um, yeah, it was Jim and Steve driving together. Mm. So it was it was an awesome, awesome thing to be involved with. And to hit that kangaroo was, it was devastating. And yeah. Something you, you still look back on and go, what could have been? But yeah, there's anyway. a, a million ways to get eliminated from a Bathurst oh, yeah. One Thousand. <laughs> You've probably seen most of them now. Yeah, but, I've seen most of them. Um, Drivers can even fatigue. Funny enough, they yeah. can, well, I haven't even got that far <laughs> in the timeline yet. We're still in the mid two thousands, <laughs> mate. But don't bring up a wall. Well, the <laughs> the next year I think was the year that Dunbar had the wheel come off. That hit Lowndes in the windscreen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the next year in the Jack Daniels car, Richard. Remember that he had that huge tire blow out on the Thursday practice yeah, or it was on yeah, Conrod. Yeah, it's probably the biggest supercar crash never caught on external yeah. cameras. Yeah, it was huge. And you both rebuilt it, huge overnight job. Yeah, he was just on. He was on the radio coming down Conrod talking about how good the car was and you know what we needed to do. And then all of a sudden he's he's you know. He started, you could hear the fear in his voice. Like he's halfway through talking. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, what the hell just happened there? And we, I think it came up on the TV and we're like, Richo, you are right? And he's like, <laughs> no. yeah, I'm all right, but I've had the world's biggest crash. And I'm like, what the fuck happened there? Mm. Sorry, I shouldn't swear. But we can bleep. Yeah. Actually, you know what? We bleeped <laughs> swear words in the first few episodes of our podcast. And we got told People off got by our shit. listeners yeah. who said, don't bleep it. <laughs> yeah. So we don't bleep it. Yeah, unless yeah. it's really, really bad. But that's not really, really bad. Yeah, and I think yeah. there was the uh, <laughs> vivid memory of Dumbrell. Uh, must have been late in the race, exiting the pits as the safety car peeled out. Eddie keyed through and said, I've, "The safety car's just hit me." Which normally people talk yeah. about. I'm going to hit the safety car at Daisy yeah, Thunderstar. Yeah. Uh, and it, I don't think it actually hit him, but it did everything. But yeah, it was it close. Yeah, we the, just got out of pit lane. Very same time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the the Perkins era, kind of Richards and Dumbrell moved on at the end of '06. Mm. Um, I talked to Jack Perkins about this very recently, who you've got a long relationship with from back in those days, yep. and of course he's driving with Will Brown at Bathurst later on in the year. Um, Shane Price is going to step it up from the development series. Yeah. There were chats with John Bow about coming and finishing his career oh, really? in yeah, one of the JD know. cars, yeah. uh, but at the end he decided to stick in a Ford because he kind of had a, yeah. a Ford thing going, and Jack got what um, was a, a bit of a, an upgrade that he probably – in hindsight, says he wasn't ready for it. Yeah, yeah. So the, the the decision to go with the young guys at the time, uh, I could see you could see the merit in it, but yeah. it, it didn't really work. No, no, it was. I don't know. It was um, pretty tough back then. The the field was really really strong, and it is now too. I know, but um, you know, if you compare it to what we've done with Will and Brody, 
Jack and Shane probably weren't anywhere near as prepared as Will and Brody are now mm. to to enter the elite level. But yeah, you know, when you when you took them to tracks they knew, like Winton, I think they both qualified in the top ten. Yeah. So um, the potential was there. It was just going to each track and learning the tracks, which some sometimes they both had to do, was just too too hard. And and then you fall behind a bit with development because you're trying to you know teach the drivers how to drive more than trying to make the cars fast and yeah it was a it was a tough year but i think it was a year you probably needed to to just prove that sometimes drivers are the part you do need to make the car fast and Mm. um yeah jack and shane you know to their credit there was a massive amount of pressure and they they did a a good as good a job as you could expect i think in that year and winton was definitely the highlight having them both in the top 10 and proving that they could drive the car it's just the rest of it, you know, go mm. each track and being able to put it on the on the limited a track they don't know as well mm. was hard. Todd Kelly turned up the next year, so yeah. yep. he followed you. He, yeah. he got back to you eventually. Um, and then Larry's team closes down and then it became Kelly. So yeah. did that change anything for you or did you just roll along with it or how did that all unfold? Uh, yeah, I rolled along with it. Yeah, we was that 2009 Kelly start, I think. Yeah, mm. so Todd was there 2008. And I think Todd's very ambitious. He's proven that over the years. And I think leaving HRT was probably he wanted to take a step in his, the next step in his level of driving and, you know, being part of a team and part of building a team back up. And, you know, Todd was a good, good influence there and brought some good things that he'd learnt from HRT, obviously. And, yeah, we worked together again and that was, it was, it was good, but it was difficult again. And why difficult? I don't know. It's, Were you getting the itches here or just what was the scenario? No, not really. I think I'd I'd found my place. I wanted to, mm. if I had a choice, I'd still work for Larry now if he was still going. But um, just what we went through there and what I learnt through that whole journey was was what I wanted to do with racing. So I'd, I'd got a comfort level there. So I'd, I'd been at Larry's for five years then and then it moved down to Todd's and... Um, it was it was different, you know. Todd had a different idea of how he wanted to do things, and um, yeah, it was fine. But yeah, I I had the we carried a lot of things from Perkins that were really good, and um, some of the things we didn't carry over. And well, what did you carry? What didn't you carry? Because a lot of oh, the all, people the, all the way we manufactured things, we carried over the, the way the engine department ran, and um, all that was really strong. And and it was just different. It's hard to explain. But, um, you didn't have Larry, you know, the father figure there, sort of, you could go up to and spear your guts to and, you know, tell him about ideas and he'd, he'd give you the, the little bit you had missing in your idea, which was the really, real good strength of Larry that you, you could do that. You knew you had the idea, you knew it was really close to something you could implement, but you just needed him to get that last bit of sort that like thought un- out of your head. It, yeah, the last yeah. Bit, yeah. And, I think that's what we missed when mm. once Larry was not there anymore. Mm. Even though, even though I could still drive down the road and talk to him about stuff, and but he didn't have the passion was gone for it because it wasn't his business. So mm. you know, it was a different situation. But no, it was the Kelly era was good. Um, what oh nine? Who did I work with? I can't even remember. But even there, I was I was doing dampers. I was running the team at one stage, running. Head of engineering, it was just it got a bit too much. And in 2011, I worked with Murph, was which was a I love work working with Murph. It was just 
a really good, enjoyable year, but it was tough for the team. We didn't get a lot of results, and it was a lot of a bit of angst in the team, and it just got to a point where I'm not, I didn't, just didn't want to be there anymore. And um, a couple of things went down that it's, it's not worth bringing up. But um, yeah, I, I resigned at Bathurst that year. And which was the best race of the year for you guys because yeah, that's we, the, we've we, got we, pole and Simonson, finish on the podium with Alan Simonson, Simonson yeah. yeah, got pole. And there was, it doesn't matter how we got pole, we got pole. It rained halfway through the shootout, but doesn't matter, it is in matter. the stats books as exactly, a pole, yeah. doesn't matter how. And we got a podium, so we must have had a decent car. And yeah, I, I actually resigned on the Friday night there and saw the year out oh, at the um, race meeting, at the race meeting, yeah, because it hit fever pitch at the race meeting or yeah, because you had, just decided yeah, that's yeah there's a few internal issues right. that had, we um i just didn't agree with so we yeah i i decided i wanted to leave and i saw the year out and um by the time we got to christmas i'd sort of half agreed that i'll probably come back hmm. but i said i need christmas to think about it and decided that no nah, it's not where i wanted to be so i actually had a bit of a gap year 2012 went and worked with brew and beasley and um Won a Formula Four championship with Jack LeBrock, and had a bit of fun along the way, and obviously started um, the Erebus journey in 2012 as well. And that's what I really wanted to delve yeah. into. How does so at the time Erebus is not in supercars. Erebus, mm. Betty's been doing GTs with Mercedes and yeah. had involved with Pete Hackett and F3 and stuff like that before that. But how did you two get together to to begin with? Because this um, is we're going back pretty much nearly ten yeah, years now. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I got um, a call out from uh, Rick Kemp. I think it was Rick Kemp at the time. I used to who was the Coney Shop guy? Yeah, Coney wasn't Shop he? guy. He did yeah, a lot of engineering I, and stuff. I got like. on really well with Rick. And worst he... teller of jokes, I reckon I've ever. <laughs> I've heard drivers who have been put to sleep during safety car periods at the twelve hour of Bathurst. Yeah, yeah. By Rick telling jokes. Yeah. Who was trying to actually make them stay awake but put them to sleep? <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd um, had a good relationship with Rick um, just through the Coney thing and. Hmm. And I'm um, just being a couple of race engineers that were trying to do our do our thing, and he they needed someone at Erebus as a part timer, so um, I ended up going to the twelve hour. So I'd only been out of supercars, and um, I went back to the twelve hour with Erebus just as a contractor, mm. and um, to help run it, engineer, help it. Um, manage the team for the weekend, and yeah. race engineer one of the cars. I was only one there, yeah, because it was a Black Falcon car. But, yeah, so basically to guide the team through a Bathurst 12-hour, and I'd never done one, but I'd, I'd obviously done some Was that year was wet? Was that that wet year? It's not the winning year, was no, it? No, no. Yeah. 2013 was, was the wet, winning year. The winning yeah. year, yeah. Yeah, so 2012, we at the end of it, we come second. Tim Slade. Uh, Euro Bleakamolin. Um, yeah, Peter Hackett, Peter Hackett and Brett Curtis, the American. Yeah, that's it, yeah. It's all in our Bathurst Going Global yeah, right. 12 hour book that you've got a copy of here in front of you. Photo of every car from every year. You can buy it for a mail. Online store now. Barry Ryan does recommend it. He hasn't opened yeah, it yet, but he recommends it. Looks great. It, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's where the Erebus journey started. I met Betty and Daniel there. And funny story out of that was um, Daniel. I didn't. I hadn't formally met Daniel, um, Betty's husband. And. We got together as a group, and I said, "Oh, mate, what do you do?" And he said, "Oh, what do you want me to do?" I said, oh, "We need a fire person for the for the race. Yeah, someone to hold the fire extinguisher." And, and he goes, "Yeah, I'll do that." I said, "Okay." Just moved on to the next thing. I had no idea who he was. Had no idea. <laughs> and um, then Ryan Madison came up to me, who was the CEO at the time, and said, um, 
he knew who that was. And I said, no, he's, he's going to be the fire guy. He said he wanted to do something. And it was, yeah, I won't learn it was Betty's husband. And, and he, he embraced it. He put the fire suit on. And he stood there all day with a fire extinguisher and, and loved it. But, yeah, he'd probably still do it now if we asked him. So. Mm, but mm. that was, the, I guess, the way I um, act in a race team when you got a group of people and somebody puts their hand up and says, I want to do something. Well, there you go. Off you go. There's a job. Yeah, there's a job. Mm, mm. Did you get along with Betty and Daniel straight away? Because you're very yeah. different types of people, yeah. different backgrounds, yeah. different personalities, but it seems to be I didn't know quick. who they were. Like, I, honestly, no idea I, at all. No, I, I think I had to Google to find out who Betty was. I didn't, I, but I didn't care. She, she's someone that owned a race team and wanted someone to work for her, and I just went and worked for her for a, a weekend. So I think it was only after the race meeting where I'd – all these people who've been telling me, oh, she's got a lot of money, she does. I'm like, I don't care. I just, I just want to go racing. Mm. So, yeah, I think I Googled her and sort of went, oh, shit, you know, she's, she's done a bit of stuff and she's got a huge business. And, you know, her father was, you know, owned Westfield and all this. So, whatever, yeah, that's fine. Doesn't, mm. doesn't mm. change what Let's I go do. Yeah. 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 Yep. And then, so the, the Erebus GT program. The supercar thing started in 13 up in the old Stone Brothers yeah, workshop up yep. in Queensland, but the Erebus GT program was separate and it was yeah. in, here in Melbourne, wasn't it? Yep. It was a separate thing completely. Yeah, yeah. So you, at that point, did you start to become sort of running the ship there, contracting, and it just sort of seemed yeah. like it just evolved? Yeah, 2012, it was, I was just going to the race meetings. So I was committed to Bruin for his form of the Ford program, so I stuck by that, and then Bruin also did a... Super 2 car that year with Elliot Palmer. Mm-hmm. So I helped Bruin get involved with Super 2 and made sure he, you know, as a good mate of mine, I made sure he sort of skipped all the hurdles that you can you can get involved in with the supercar. So, yeah, it was actually good working with a mate for, for a year and um, combining a bit of the Erebus part-time stuff and I did a bit of stuff with um, the Super Tourer thing in New Zealand. Oh, yeah, just, that's right, yeah, yeah. Yep. Just um, that M- M3 with Murph's team, yep. or 3M, or whatever they called. Yeah, just it was just a year where I got to do a heap of different things, and and it probably taught me that I really wanted to be back in full professional motorsport. But we, it was still a good learning year. Uh, heaps of stuff I learned. I didn't know anything about Formula Fords before that year, and we went and um, won a championship because Braun obviously taught me a lot, and then I brought a little bit of the stuff in that I thought I could help with, and we had a really successful year and. It was it was great fun and built on the relationship with Erebus and Betty and Ryan Madison and sort of um, tried to put whatever I could all my effort into how we could make that program massive and without spending stupid money and and uh, it was fairly successful some of the races that year with with GT and, and then um, yeah then 2013 come along and um, what did we do there we had Jack LeBrock. In the GT, in the GT car. car, won yeah. the twelve hour that year with yeah. Bern Schneider. And- yeah, yeah, that was a that was a good fun year. That was um, I'm trying to think back, but yeah, yeah, we won the twelve hour, which was was a great thing to do, and we we should have could have almost come one too if the Aussie car, we'll call it, the purple car, didn't have an incident. Uh was that the Slade Holdsworth Hackett yeah. car? Yeah. yeah. Had an issue late. In the yeah, hit a back marker. Memory. That's right. <laughs> On a yeah, restart, that's right. hit a back marker and damaged the car. That's right. Lost a couple of laps. But where does that twelve-hour win stand out in your racing career? That right up there. Yeah, it was. It was really good. Yeah, to go back there after coming second the year before and head up a two-car thing, I guess, and um, 
at one point we were, I think, one, two going down a straight, half a lap ahead, and we're like, oh, this is just a bit easy. And yeah, <laughs> just when you think that at Bathurst. Yeah, as Bathurst does. But it was good because back then you had to have a, a an AM driver, and obviously Alex Roloff was a technically an AM driver, but really, really experienced, particularly at Nurburgring. So he came to Bathurst, and there was no fear at all. He's like, mm. "This is easy. This is just another track." So, yeah, yeah. He was a real gentleman, and and he did an awesome job when he was up against AMs and pros, and and brought the car home in the wet without any mistakes. And yeah, it was to work with guys like Bernd Schneider and. Um, yeah, Thomas Jaeger and Alex was it was brilliant. Yeah. And and that car is up at the museum at the yeah, National Motor yeah. Racing Museum yeah. at Bathurst. So, yeah, uh, what's the we, we have a, a tie in with the museum. We, we work with them really yeah. closely on, on a bunch of stuff. So, what's the the go with that car? Was it the twelve hour winner, and you just parked it straight after that, or did it do a bit before and after? Or no, it did. Uh, I think the next season we only ran one car. So Richard Busker in GT, Musket, yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh, no, actually, no, Max Twig and uh, Jeff Emery drove the other car, so... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that car went back into service just as normal, and then, you know, when it was, it was a point where we weren't racing GT anymore, we just put it back to Bathurst winning spec, mm. and it, that's that's its history now. You can still go and probably charge the battery, put some fuel in it, and <laughs> take it for a drive. Well, we'll take you up on that one day. Yeah. Now that you've floated it out there, it's so simple, just fire it up and, yeah, yeah. and let it ride. But the cool cars, the gull wings, yeah, yeah, the, the engine note of that. Good that fun to work AMG on. Engine. Some of the stuff we did back then when we went to Macau. Macau was 2013 as well, I think, and we we should have. It's always should have, could have, mm. would have, but we should have won that race. We got a puncher with three laps to go, and Mara was, I think, 10 seconds up the road, and that was a huge disappointment, not just for us, but for AMG, because mm. they, they were... One race they were desperate to take off um, the Audis because mm. the Audis had dominated there with uh, Mr. McCow, what was his name? Um, Eduardo uh, Montoro. That's Mont- the one. Montoro, yeah, yeah, you can pronounce it better than me. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was disappointing to lose that year. And then, um, yeah, we went back the next year. What happened the next year? I can't remember. Yeah. Something. Anyway, happened. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was t- <laughs> typical Macau. Yeah, it's, it's one of those <laughs> yeah. places and one of those events. It's a. Yeah. Weird stuff happens. It's a bit Bathurst-like in, in that regard. Mm. So the whole time here in your Erebus life, you've got nothing to do with the supercar project. No, not or- until early 15, really, mm. yeah. So yeah. was that a case of we need some more hands on deck or how did that all evolve? Um, I don't know. I don't want to get too political with it, but no, I, I was supposed more to More than be- welcome to get a little yeah. bit political if you like. Yeah. It's, it, you could do what you want. I, I, I went to a lot of the initial meetings in Germany and, you know, about how the supercar program was going to happen. So I was sort of part of it. But then when they bought into Stones, it was like they didn't really need me because they had the expert of Ross Stone and Jimmy left. So it wasn't Jimmy and, you know, David Stewart and all the, all the people up there. They had the experts. So mm. I, I don't think they... There, was a, there wasn't a feeling that they needed an ex, extra person. So um, I, no, I, I sort of just watched it watched it happen in the background for a bit there. But then as I am, I can't, I can't not say things when I'm when – I'm, <laughs> if there's something I see that I don't think is right, I, I'll stand up and say it. And you know, it took a while to, to get my point across that I think we could do, be doing this different. And, and that's not a, uh, against anybody there that did anything. They they had a massive task and they, they did the task. They got the cars on track and 
Um, it's easy to, in hindsight for anyone to look at stuff and say you could have done it better, but that's not what I'm saying. But um, when I got to a point where I was asked to formally go in and review what was going on there in 2015, or I, I was just completely honest with what I thought, and um, it was a real not a road to nowhere, but there was so much money that needed to be spent to go another level with the car and the engines and and even medium term with the engines to try and get cylinder heads and blocks and stuff off AMG. It was there was no factory support. So whatever you had to buy off AMG you had to pay for. You were just another was, customer paying an invoice. It was just huge, huge dollars. So there was no real need to do it. Like there was there was no support from mm. There was no extra support from sponsors because you're in an AMG. There was, there was no commercial reason to do yeah. it. So, and when you went to that first, all those first meetings, was there another any other options that could have unfolded instead of buying stones, or was that kind um, of? Well, I think to- that was pr- pretty much the only option at the yeah. time to to get an existing team and get a car on the track mm. in a short period of time. There was, mm. there was other ways, and I spelled out other ways I thought we could do it, but some of them were just. Real pie in the sky shit, which we would have made happen, but it would have been um, a lot tougher than. Oh, they did it tough, but yeah, it could have been nearly impossible. Some of the other ways to do it, but, mm. yeah. So they to do what they did was incredible to do it, but um, yeah, to, there are other ways it could have been done. Yeah, and, and that could have that, that's also supercars could have helped out with you know, what we're going to now with this next generation, the way the engines are going and that, that could have suited the original concept, which was the SLS engine as it was. From the GT car. 6.2 engine, yeah. But um, that that was initially ticked off. Yep, that can happen. And then shut down which while in make, Germany. <laughs> which made the whole thing make sense. Yeah. But yeah. then suddenly if it changes, it doesn't make as much sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was part one of our chat with Barry Ryan from Erebus Motorsport. Next week on part two, we chat more about his time at Erebus, about Betty Clemenko, about winning the Bathurst 12-hour, the Bathurst 1000, the very infamous documentary series that so many people saw Barry in, and we also talk about what's going on with Erebus Garage. Barry tackles your National Motor Racing Museum catch racer questions and also tackles our V8 Sleuth Top 10 Shootout. Don't forget to jump into our bookshop online. The website address is bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. Pick yourself up a bargain. There is plenty of good stuff to be added to your bookshelf or to your DVD shelf. Sign up for our newsletter via the v8sleuth.com.au website and follow us on socials, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We are there and busy and always active, so make sure you get in touch with us. Give us your feedback. Give us your ideas for future podcast guests and the like. Look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget to, every Tuesday, Repco Supercars Weekly, our look at the Repco Supercars Championship. It's an additional to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. Make sure you join us for the next step of Repco Supercars Weekly on Tuesday. We'll have part two of Barry Ryan next week. In the meantime, enjoy your week. We're signing off for the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.